for this episode, Anne-Marie Georgette Rooks and I, Denisa Dara David, would share a bit about ourselves personally so that you get to know the face and I guess the essence behind this podcast. We will share a bit about our organizations and also how we came to this place. After many months of procrastinating, how did we um, launch this podcast and how did we decide to launch this podcast? So I'll start by introducing myself, Denisa Dara David. I am originally from Mayaro and Rio Claro, um, the southeastern part of Trinidad, Trinidad and Tobago being the country. And uh, I would call myself a creative dreamer and doer. Um, Somebody referred to me as a soulful adventurer, but I enjoy exploring all that is there is to life. My experience in life is basically about immersing myself in all the beauty that exists around me, ensuring that it's shared with others and creating even more beauty to add to what I experience. I grew up in rural communities for the most part. I transferred to a city school or a school, a primary school in an urban center when I was 10 years old. Um, but I lived most of my life in rural communities, one coastal and the other um, a little way from the coast. And that afforded me the, I guess, the opportunity to engage with people from urban and rural spaces. At a very young age, I probably nine years old, I started working with NGOs like Habitat for Humanity and the St. Vincent de Paul Society. So I've been working in community since I was the age of nine. Um, One of the things that I was able to um, observe from a very young age is the disenchantment of rural people with their um, rustic life. And and by all means, that, that doesn't refer to everyone, but certainly there were a lot of young people in my community who wanted to experience city life and they would refer to town as in Port of Spain or any urban space on the east-west corridor of Trinidad. Um, And there was a glorifying of those spaces and the culture and everything associated with there. And there was a shaming of rural culture. So Global Villages started because I wanted to support young people in particular um, in truly exploring their rural communities um, and being able to identify the resources within their community that would allow them to thrive within their communities and to develop uh, a true appreciation for their communities. By extension, um, it meant that I also had to support their mothers, their grandmothers, their aunts, so the women in the communities, the entrepreneurs, families, men, everyone in the community. So the work of Global Villages is to support the residents in rural communities to ensure that they thrive, they live their best lives, and by doing so also ensuring that we do not harm the environment, but that we are true stewards of the natural environment um, as as we go along, ensuring that we live our best lives. So that's me, that's Global Villages. I met... Anne-Marie, many years ago, um, Anne-Marie was known as a composting lady. 
And it may have been through New Fire Festival um, that I met her, hosted in Trinidad um, for the last few years. And when I was charged with the responsibility of greening Carrier Festa two years ago, I contacted her in order to host a composting workshop because I thought that we had all these people from around the region in a central space that um, regeneration was something that we need to dis- we needed to discuss and composting is certainly part of that um, part of that way of life that we needed to adopt. And so um, what what started off as us being casual strangers developed into a partnership and then a friendship and then continues as a partnership. Um, we also are part of a community called the Reevaluation Council Communities community. So we share um, some values and those values are basically, I think, what led us to um, coming up with the edge effect, realizing that this West dominant Western culture no longer serves us. Um, And some will argue that it never served us, but it no longer serves us. And so we had to explore ideas around how do we move forward So this podcast is about that, exploring the myriad of ideas around um, how do we create a new culture? How do we perhaps create a hybrid that serves us um, better than this current one is serving us? So I'll hand over to Anne-Marie now to share a bit about herself. Wow. (laughs) Thanks, Anissa. Okay. Well, you started off young, recognizing that there were inequities when you started working with NGOs. I, on the other hand, didn't come to that realization until a little later in life. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'll have to say that my childhood was, I mean, it wasn't perfect. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. It wasn't perfect at all. But I was oblivious to, to inequities really until, no, I can't be really saying that because I would be ignoring certain things that I was noticing as a youngster. So let me let me backtrack and and um, say that again. I did recognize that there were things that were not quite right. Um, I was aware of um, tensions between my mother and some of her friends that she grew up around um, in the, in the, this was in the sixties when, of course it had to be in the sixties because I was born in the sixties and I was quite young, but it was something that was ever so subtle. And it was around the idea that she had married a white man <laughs> and had children with this white gentleman. And, um, but that was a, that was a, it was ever so fleeting and never something that I could name or say anything about at that age. I, it, I came to understand what was happening as I grew older, and I got to appreciate um, what a mixed marriage was, and the fact that I looked a little different to my darker-skinned cousins, and, and, and the differences and what happens as a result of the differences were observed as a child. Um, I was never point blank um, 
called any names or made to feel bad, but I knew there was something there. I knew there was something there. As I grew older, I was able to give it a name and 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 be able to listen to discussions about it because, of course, I was I've, I would have had more opportunities to see it happening with other people. Um, so home was happy. Home was happy, but also home was a real grounding for me in what it takes to um to live what it takes to run a household my mother was very particular in making sure that her children and she it's just two girls we had she had she and daddy and and i had often <laughs> my father often said that he was glad he didn't have any sons uh again i didn't understand that until later <laughs> what he meant by that i guess he meant he didn't want the responsibility of having sons but then he also had the responsibility of having daughters. So, you know, what does that mean? It's the same thing, really. Um, and I think as I grew up and I saw my cousins growing up and, and there was always, a, not always, but there, there tended to be some tensions in the household of my cousins that was a result of, of, of I guess, men personalities clashing with their father. And so I thought, well, maybe that was, was what he was alluding to. But my, my childhood was, was happy, but I was taught very early on that there, was, there were responsibilities that women had to shoulder that, um, not that men did not have to shoulder them, but my mother made it clear that you need to be able to handle yourself when you are out in the world. So handling myself meant being able to take care of my needs, take care of my, my, my personal hygiene, take care of my, my home, if I had a home, and take care of what needed to be done in the home, whether it was um, cleaning, um, cooking. Although cooking really never came under that same umbrella because my mother was not a particularly, was not, uh never never um felt herself particularly skilled in the kitchen so she would always um admit listen i am not a, i am not a cook but i can feed my family i'm not a master chef i am not um want to volunteer to cater for a party i am not that person but i will do what i have to do to put a meal on the table for my husband and my children right and it was um, so I understood that one needed to learn certain things in order to 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 become an adult. Right. And I saw that there was more pressure on women to be able to perform in that way than than men. But anyway, that was that was pretty early on. <laughs> um, school education was also seen as a way to advance. It wasn't enough to to learn a skill, one needed to, um, there was never pressure to excel, but there was always pressure to do well and do your best at. I like that. Yeah, at school, at, um, well, of course, the schools that might, and again, this is something that they did eh, together. 
they put their money together to make sure that we were going to a private primary school. Why? I don't know. I don't know. But they put their money together and put both of us through private primary school. And I think they figured we were assured of the best teachers there, and I want to give them the best that I could give my daughters. That's probably what they thought. Uh, anyway, we went to a private primary school. We did okay in school. I went on to Bishop Anstey High School in, in, in Port of Spain. And, um, you know, it, it was, it's a, it's a high school of, of, how could I describe this? It was a school and still is a school that has a tradition of nurturing powerful women. Nurturing powerful women. And I guess that's, maybe that's what my mother wanted for me. I knew she, when she was a, um, a teenager at that age, high school age, she was not able to go to Bishop Anstey because it, at that time, it was an expensive school to go to. There was, it was not, it was a paid high school and she couldn't afford it. Her family couldn't afford it. And I think that's probably why she wanted to be able to do that for her daughters. Um, I don't regret for one moment having gone there. It's a wonderful school, teachers who cared. Uh, I have a great deal, I have a great deal to say about the education that under under the Ministry of Education, but um, that's in Trinidad. But it was a school that had, and I still, and I think still has teachers who care about their charges. They really care, and that is what I took away from going to school there. It was a place of people who cared. Anyway, I was, again, through my parents' hard work, was able to go to university. Uh, went to university outside of Trinidad in Tobago. And I went to, stu to study in the United States. Again, I don't, I don't regret that decision because I had not yet really determined what I wanted to do. And it was the opportunity presented itself because my parents had worked hard to be able to do that. And so I did. I came away with a, a degree in economics. Um, that was not something I necessarily wanted to do. It's just something that naturally happened. And I came back to Trinidad looking for a job. <laughs> Again, this is something I'm just going with the flow. I'm going with the flow because I had not yet discovered my passion. So getting the education, going to university, getting a degree, bam. Degree, what are you doing next? Well, you get a job. So I got a job. Um, so whatever was available. What was available at the time was a job at Royal Bank in the PR department. And uh, well, I joined Royal Bank. After a couple of years, they needed to place people in the bank who had university degrees. The, 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 the executives that were running, that were in charge of the, the personal loans program were looking to 
have a whole new cadre of degreed, degreed people um, becoming personal lending officers. So I was part of that uh, batch of uh, people. It wasn't really something I wanted to do, but again, going with the flow, I was there, you know, it's my job. So I did that for a while and I did not enjoy it. Did not enjoy it one bit. I enjoyed the people I worked with though. And that I think was why I was there, to figure out people, to understand people. Also to appreciate what my parents had done for me. At this time, I had an appreciation, but it was uh, an appreciation that was very much vague about the hard work my parents had, had um, done. By this time, my father had already passed. He passed uh, before I went off to university. But the fact that they were able to put aside enough monies to put, myself, put me through university and um, well, I appreciated it, but it was only after that job that had me on a day-to-day -day basis talking to people about what assets they had, what income they were earning, and what did they want to, what loans they had, and why did they want to borrow money from the bank? And <laughs> that's what I was doing. I was a loans officer. And after talking to several people and taking their what is known as a statement of affairs. I had the uh, distinct appreciation of what my parents were able to accomplish. Um, the fact that they denied themselves, they worked, um, I know my father worked two jobs and put aside money to do things that some people just aren't able to do. They were able to manage money in ways that some people aren't able to to, 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 to manage. And I saw them do that. And now I'm looking at people who aren't able to do it and realizing, my goodness, what they did was special. What they did was not run of the mill. What they did was wonderful. And I am so happy that one day after, this was about maybe a few years in that particular position at the bank that I said to my mother, I sat down at the kitchen table, we were talking about um, something. We were talking about, um, at that time, of course, she said, once we started working, that you're going to be contributing this amount for the bills and so on. So by the time we were, I was working, I was giving her money for certain paying certain bills. And uh, I said to her, I don't know if you realize this, but what I do in the bank is, well, I end up knowing people business because I'm taking a statement of affairs. So I know what they're earning, I know what the assets they have, I know what they're borrowing, and I know what their debt servicing ratio is. And I told my mother, I, am, I end up knowing people business, and now I know that what you did for me and my sister was special. And I was able to say thank you to her. I had the, I don't know where it came from that I should say that to her. And I did. Um, anyway, that was uh, 
That was Royal Bank. I eventually quit that job because, as I said, I was not enjoying it. And my mother passed away in 2001. Um, we had the, the good fortune to be earning an income from a rental property, and I did not have to return to get a job. And it allowed me the, um, the, good, the opportunity to do other things and to eventually find what my passion was, which um, ha happened at uh, age 50. In 2012, in 2012, I turned 50. And at that uh, time, I was really was interested in looking at something to do. And I saw um, a transformational leadership development program being advertised and eventually took the course. And that led to my involvement with Shift Caribbean. Later that year, I saw something about permaculture design and I took a permaculture design class and I met Earl Rahman Naruna and I met John Stolmeyer, and now I'm a permaculturalist. Uh, those two aspects of my life were able to form and inform what I've been doing since then. The podcast itself came out of meeting Denisa at Carifesta, as she said, and realizing that um, this is somebody that I could do a podcast with, you know, because by that time I had been listening to podcasts off and on and I knew what I wanted to talk about. And uh, I asked her, this was after the Carifesta, I called and said, listen, could, could we meet somewhere and have a chat? I wanted to talk to you about your impression of the Carifesta and so on. It was just an excuse really to meet her and talk to her. And uh, we met, we talked, then we've been meeting since then at um, re-evaluation counseling sessions, as she mentioned. And uh, after a couple of those sessions, I said, well, you know, I better mention a podcast to her because I really want to do this and I think she's the ideal person. And that was that, more or less. Not so much an, in a nutshell, kind of long story, but that's how we met. <laughs> Anything to add, Denisa? No. Um, <laughs> I think that um, your story is a beautiful one, a bit um, different from my experience, um, but certainly there are things that we, um, that we meet on, you know, mm -hmm. and hence the reason for this collaboration. Um, you will get to know lots more about us in the coming episodes as we have conversations with others um, and we do our own sessions, our own episodes on things that we are passionate about. So thank you for joining us for this episode and we look forward to connecting with you for another episode. You have been listening to The Edge Effect produced by JTB Homesteads and Global Villages. Music by Terenesat.